Good morning, New Life. Welcome to the North Pole. <laughs> I was under the impression that when we moved to North Carolina, this was still the South. I feel, feel like I've landed somewhere else, but uh, I don't know about you. I'm, I think I'm already ready for, for springtime. Uh, well, if you're, if you're new here, we haven't met. My name's Chris, and uh, obviously I'm one of the, the pastors here at New Life. Just in case you missed last week, uh, we launched a brand new message series called uh, All In. And so last week we talked about the fact that when Jesus invites us to follow him, it was and is kind of this all or nothing proposition. Like Jesus never asked anyone for half-hearted devotion. He, 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 never, he never asked people to just add him to their list of important things in their lives. His invitation was to come and be all in with him, to just, to just lay it all on the line. And so we talked about the fact that it seems that uh, so many of us in our culture are just absolutely terrified by commitment. But we also pointed out that the, the paradox in God's kingdom is that commitment to Jesus is actually the pathway to the life that God has designed for us. It's the pathway to the life that's going to satisfy us and make us fully alive. And so uh, we looked at the story of the rich young ruler, and Jesus invited him to come all in with, with him. And we saw that he loved other stuff more than he loved Jesus. And so he turned and he walked away. And we contrasted that story with the story of the disciples who received the same invitation from Jesus and they gave up everything to follow him. And then we looked at how those early disciples literally changed the world when they decided to hold nothing back from following Jesus. And so uh, here, here, here's the deal. I'm convinced that going all in with Jesus is what he's asking you to do this year. That's what, that's what he's asking me to do. That's, that's what he's asking us collectively as a faith family, as a gospel community to do, is to go all in with Jesus. You see, we, we have to, we must move past this uh, faulty idea that church is uh, somewhere we go on Sunday morning, that it's a, that it's a building. We've got to move past this idea that it's just an event that happens on Sunday morning. Church is not a building, Church is not an event. The church is a people on mission with God. It's a movement. Do you know what movements do? Movements. Oh, you guys are smart. Movements move. They don't simply come and watch. And so we had a really, we talked about last week, uh, some cool things that God did here among our church body in 2017. And that's all well and good, and that's exciting, and we're grateful for all of that. But I think the next big step for us as a, as a faith family is for all of us to begin to truly understand that God has called you. He's called all of us, each and every one of us, to be players and not spectators in this movement, in his story. In other words, if we're, if we're going to... If we're going to turn the world upside down like the early church did, like the first church did in the book of Acts, listen to me. It's not going to be because I preach well. 
It's not. It's not going to be because Mike and the band sing well and, and, and play well. It's not going to be because we have the best, the best uh, youth or children's ministries in town. If we're really going to make a difference, it's going to be because each and every one of us finally understands that we have a part to play in God's story. And then begin to actually do something about it. To get off the bench and to get into the game, so to speak. So what, what, is, what does that mean practically for us? I think oftentimes the danger in preaching a kind of a, a rah-rah message like, like we did last week is that sometimes people can get excited and they can say, yeah, Chris, I, I, I get it, I understand it, I want to go all in with Jesus in 2018, but I have no clue where to even begin. And so we're going to be unpacking that over the course of the next two or three weeks together. And we're going to answer the question, how do we make the transition from spectator to player in God's story? Because here's what I'm convinced of. A lot of churches in our culture today, maybe even most churches in our culture, in our nation, are filled with fans. Filled with fans. Fans of the worship team fans of the lead pastor, fans of Jesus himself, but God hasn't invited you just to be a fan. He's invited you into the action, into the game. It's sort of like um, many of you know um, that I'm a a big Alabama football fan. And don't don't hold that against me. I I was born into it, and uh, my whole family's from from Alabama. So if if you don't follow football, uh, the, the college football national championship was Monday night, and Alabama defeated uh, Georgia on Monday night. And so I was sitting in my living room. I was watching the college football national championship, and I, I was yelling, and I was encouraging, and I, I may or may not have been jumping up and down trying to will my team to victory. I even put my lucky Alabama sweatshirt on. And, of course, it worked, as it, as it always does. <laughs> The, the, re- the reality is, as a fan, I had zero impact on that game. Like, none at all. Zilch, not at nothing. Why? Because I'm just, a, I'm just a fan. I'm just a fan. I'm not a, I'm not a player on that field actually affecting the outcome of the game. And the sad reality is that there are a ton of Christians that live their lives exactly like that. As fans who remove themselves from the game and they have no effect on the world around them. And listen, that is a tragedy. That is a tragedy. So so how do we begin to move off of the bench in our spiritual journey and get into the game as we go all in with Jesus? Well, here's the first thing for you note takers, for those of you who really love Jesus. Here's here's the first point I want you to hear. We, We must become people of the word. We must become people of the word. That, that is primary. Like you can't run a marathon before you even figure out how to, how to crawl on the ground. If you want to go all in with Jesus, you can't skip this step. See, tr- truth is fluid. It's a, it's, a, it's a fluid concept in our culture, isn't it? So it's like kind of the idea is your truth is good for you, and my truth is good for me, and that's all good, and that's happy. Listen, guys, that, that is a logical fallacy. Let me ask you a question. This is my cell phone here. I want you guys, can you see my cell phone in the back? If I were to ask you, what color is my cell phone? Is it black or hot pink? What would you say to me? What color is it? You can answer. It's black. 
All right, that's the correct answer. Now, if I were to say to you, no, to me it's hot pink, what would you say? You say, Chris, brother, you're either blind or dumb or both, right? And, and, you, and you would be correct. But that's what we try to do with truth in our culture. I mean, it, it's foolish. It's silly. But we've been sort of conditioned to it long enough that we begin to think that it's normal. It's not normal. It's, it's goofy. It doesn't even make any sense. Look, the, the Christian faith is grounded. It is rooted in absolute truths. God, God reveals himself in, in two primary ways. The first is general revelation. That is that we can look at the world around us and nature, creation, screams that there is a creator. It tells us that there, there is a designer behind the intricate design that we see. Paul says as much in Romans. He says that all of us are without excuse because we can look at nature around us and we instinctively know that there is a God, there is a creator behind that. Now, God also reveals himself through special revelation. So you got general revelation, you have special revelation, and that is God's word to us. Now, we know that God can communicate in lots of different ways. We've talked about before the movement going on right now in the Muslim world where God reveals himself a lot of times to Muslims through dreams and visions where there is no scripture, where there is no church. And that's incredible. We celebrate that God works in miraculous ways all over the world. But primarily, he communicates to us through general revelation and special revelation being his word. And it's through that, through that self-revelation to us in his word that we know who God is. That's how we know what he's like. That's how we know that he's a good God. That he's loving and full of grace and mercy and not a vengeful, evil God. That's how we know what he's up to in history. That's how we know what Jesus taught, how Jesus lived. And oftentimes you'll hear well-meaning people say something like, well, for me, I just need God, right? Or, or I just have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need the Bible. It's just a personal thing between me and God. Okay, well, how do you know who God is? How do you know who God is? How do you know what he's like? How do you know what Jesus actually taught? How do you know what Jesus valued? How he lived? How his disciples lived? We know all of that through his self-revelation to us. So we must become a people of the word. I did a little research this week. Do you know that the average American household has 4.4 Bibles in each home? That sounds pretty good, right? Just about every single household in America has multiple Bibles in, in that home. But my experience is the vast majority of those people never crack open a Bible. Now, now why, why is that? I think it's because most of us just, we think of the Bible as this old, cold, dead, religious relic that has very little relevance to our lives today. But I, I want you to hear this. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. So if you have a Bible this morning, I want you to open it up or open it up on your device and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we're going to park this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's in your New Testament. 2 Timothy is right after 1 Timothy, if that helps you at all. So this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young man, not surprisingly, named Timothy. And so Paul was discipling, he was mentoring young Timothy. And his words to Timothy, I think, are useful to us here as we consider what it means 
to go all in with Jesus. So we'll start in verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And Paul says to young Timothy, Timothy, listen to me. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And I want to pause there just for a minute because that is a weighty statement in and of itself. Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to become a man of the word because all of Scripture is breathed out from the very mouth of God. Timothy, these aren't just dead words written by men. They're not, they're not, it's not just good advice for your life. Timothy, these are the very words of God that have come out, that have been breathed out of his mouth to us. And Paul is saying in a very real sense, Timothy, when you read the word, when you read the scriptures, when you hear the word like we're doing right now, you literally are hearing from God himself. You are literally, in a real way, encountering God himself in words from his mouth. And that's the second truth that I want us to see this morning. All scripture is God-breathed. And what that means practically for us is that we we can trust them. It means that they are authoritative. It means that they're from God. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. A mark of spiritual maturity is when I come to a place in the scriptures that I don't like. When I come to a place in the scriptures that make me a little uncomfortable, when I come to a place and I say, man, I wish that really wasn't there, a mark of spiritual maturity is that when I get to that place in scripture, I say, Jesus, you're right and I'm wrong. You're right and I'm wrong. If I believe like Paul, if I believe like Jesus, if I, did, if I believe like the church throughout history has, that these are the very words of God, then I must embrace them as truth from a good and loving Father. You see, the Word is the primary way that we get to know God. I can remember in college, some of you guys will remember uh, these days. If you're young, you won't know what I'm talking about. When I was in college, um, and Cheryl and I, my, my wife now, began dating. Um, this was before social media, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. We had what we call, what was called AOL Instant Messenger. Does anybody remember the AOL Instant Messenger? You had, a, you had so we had like this old school dinosaur desktop computer. We had AOL Instant Messenger. It would make a particular noise when a message would come through, right? Bling or whatever it was, and I would hear that in my dorm room, and I would run over. And I would see who it was, and inevitably, usually, it was, it was from Cheryl. And I would read it, I would read her words, and I would reread her words so I didn't miss anything. Why? Because I knew those words were from her. And I wanted, I wanted to get to know her. Why? Because, because I was falling in love with her. And so it is with our relationship with God. If we want to get to know Him, if we want to love Him well, we have to bathe ourselves. We have to immerse ourselves in His words to us. All Scripture is God-breathed. So what is it good for, Paul? Okay, okay, I'm buying it. It's all from God. What, What is it good for? Let's pick back up there in verse 16. Paul says, well, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Apostle Paul gives us at least three benefits of God's Word. The first being that God's Word teaches us. It instructs us. And so oftentimes people will come to pastors and they'll ask the question, Pastor, how do I know God's will for my life? I can't hear him speaking to me. And then so you'll ask him, well... 
Are you spending time with God? Are you, are you reading the Word? Are you spending time in prayer? Well, no. Well, then you shouldn't be surprised that you don't know what to do in your life. God, God's Word teaches us. It instructs us. How do I know how to love my wife well? Based on what Hollywood tells me and teaches me? That love is a fleeting feeling and that when the the warm, fuzzy feelings are gone, then I should just bail. I have every right to bail because I deserve to have the warm, fuzzy feelings all my life. No, I know how to love my wife well because God's word teaches me to love her and to sacrifice for her the way that he loves and sacrificed for us. The word teaches me how to Love her, how to live with her in an understanding way, how to love, lead, and serve her. How do I learn how to parent my three children? How do I learn how to, how to shepherd a, a congregation, a church family? You want to talk about a daunting task? What about the, what about the, what about the, big, the big picture questions in life? Like, why are my kids born professional sinners? They're like, why don't I have to teach them how to lie still and cheat? They come out that way. Why do governments invest billions and billions of dollars into education in impoverished, corrupt countries, and then 50 years later, they're just educated, impoverished, corrupt countries? How how do I make sense of all of that? Well, God's Word builds a framework where I can understand the fall in Genesis 3. And I can understand sin and sin nature and human brokenness that can only be restored at the heart level through a relationship with Jesus. All of those answers we learn from God's Word. And that's the first benefit of God's Word. It it teaches us. It instructs us. What else does Paul say here? He says, well, the Word reproves and corrects us. Another way of saying that is God's Word course corrects our our lives. It course corrects our lives. So for me, I, I don't know about you, I am directionally challenged. And so... What that means is I can drive the same place 30 times and I can't remember on the 31st time how I got there. I just, I, I can't, I walk out of Walmart and I can't remember if I, I should go left to my car or right to my car. I just, I'm directionally challenged. And so oftentimes I'll, I'll be driving somewhere and I'll think, I, I, I think I remember how to get there. And inevitably I'll end up on some, some back road in a sketchy part of town. And, and what do I do? I pull out my black phone, not my hot pink phone, and I type in the coordinates. I type in the direction where I'm supposed to be going, and my GPS gives me a course correction. And that's the second benefit that Paul says that the Word has for our lives. God's Word is the GPS for our lives. It gives us life-giving course corrections. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever sat down and just read God's Word, and and you've, you've had that experience where the Holy Spirit begins to convict you about something in your life? I mean, just just wrecks your heart in the best way possible. I mean, it just convicts you about maybe the way that you're treating your spouse or an attitude in your heart, a negative attitude against somebody else or something that you need to ask for forgiveness for. Man, I've absolutely had that happen many, many times in my life. And what Paul is saying is that's a huge benefit of the word. It course corrects your life. It keeps you from self-destructing. And here's what, I, here's what I know about myself. At 37 years of age, if I could just be honest with you for a moment, I need constant course corrections in my life. Constant. 
like daily, almost, almost hourly. Why? Because without them, I tend to mess stuff up in my life. I tend to wreck relationships. I make decisions in the flesh, and I end up having to take an apology tour, which is never fun. And here's what I know, at least for me, and I would guess that this is true for you as well. There is a direct correlation between me spending time in the Word and not wrecking my life. A direct correlation. And I know when I haven't been spending time in the Word, things start to go sideways in my life. And I know that's true for you as well. So it's a, it gives us a course correction. It's a GPS for our lives. The third benefit here to being a people of the Word, we'll pick up in verse 16 here. Is Paul says it's also good for training in righteousness, that the man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul says that it, that it trains us in righteousness. In other words, it, it prepares us. That's the third benefit. God's Word prepares you for the fight ahead. It just does. The Word prepares us. It equips us to be all in with Jesus. I'm, I'm sort of fascinated with the Navy SEALs. The, the things that th- those guys do to me seem, seem almost uh, superhuman. But if you watch documentaries and read on, on the Navy SEALs, the reason that those guys are the baddest dudes on the planet is because they train harder and longer and smarter than anybody else on the planet. They train their their bodies and their minds. They push themselves beyond limits that most of us could even imagine. So hypothetical here. Just just imagine that in a few moments we were to leave here and you were to go out into the parking lot and a government official were to grab you by the shoulder and pull you aside and say, hey, look, we've been watching you. And we, (laughs) they are watching you, by the way. We've been watching you and, and we believe that you have what it takes. We believe that you're, you have what it takes to be a Navy SEAL. But here's, here's the thing. We don't have time to train you. We're going to put you on a chopper, and we're going to fly you over to Pakistan tonight and drop you off in the middle of nowhere. And we have this covert mission for you. What would your response be if, if they said that to you? I don't know about you. I would flip out. I, I, I would be sprinting for the woods trying to get away. Right? I would panic. panic. Why? Because I'm not prepared I'm not trained to have a helicopter drop me off in the middle of the ocean in the middle of the night and have me swim 53 miles and then scale a 400-foot building and like sneak around with trained assassins and then capture somebody. I'm not trained for that. Listen, if I go on that mission, two things are going to happen. One, I'm dying, okay? There's there's no doubt about it. I'm going to have a heart attack as soon as they throw me out of the chopper. I'm going to hit the water dead. The second thing is I'm going to mess up the mission, I'm going to step on a stick and I'm going to wake everybody up and they're going to shoot us and kill us. It's going to go really, really bad. I'm not prepared. I don't want to go. You can't make me. Okay? I don't, I can't, I don't want to go. I'm not prepared. And I think a lot of Christians feel like that. They feel like, man, why do I feel like I really stink at this being a Christian thing? Well, have you prepared, brother? Have you prepared, sister? Have you been trained if not, you're, you're toast. And Paul is saying, this is how you train. You've been called to a huge, beautiful, but dangerous mission. Spend time getting prepared. For some of you this morning, I would just imagine you're sitting there and you're, you're wondering, you have questions floating around the back of your mind like, man, why can I not, why can I, why can I not stop looking at porn? 
Why can't I stop binge eating? Why do I get so angry at my spouse? Why do I get so angry at my kids and say those things that I regret? Why do I have these patterns in my life that I, I just can't seem to get over? And look, here, here's, here's the cycle. We fell. We struggle with something. And then we decide that we're going to try harder in our own strength. And we decide that we're just going to have a little bit more willpower. And then when we fail, again, inevitably, we go into the cycle of self-hatred. I've been there, and some of you live there. And church, what I want to say to you this morning is, look, what if we just started walking with God? What if we just started, what if we just started spending time with Him? In his, in his word, praying, talking to him like the father that he is to us. And I'm not saying that this is some sort of magic pill that's just going to fix all the problems in your life. But what I am telling you is that when you're walking with God, it becomes much harder to love the counterfeit gods in your life. It's true in my life, and that's true in your life. Look, it's really hard to look at porn when you're reading Luke's gospel. It's really hard to gossip about your neighbor. It's really hard to scream at your spouse when you're meditating on a psalm. So listen to me. This is what happens when we spend time with Jesus in his word. He begins to become more beautiful to us in the counterfeit gods in our lives that we all have that are always tugging on our attention and fighting for our affection begin to become less and less attractive. This, God, listen, guys, this is not rocket science. This is basic. This is good for us. We need this. This needs to become a rhythm of our life, spending time with God in his word. That's why Paul was pleading with Timothy to be a man of the word. Because his spiritual life depended on it, and so does yours. Let's finish up by reading just a little bit deeper into this letter um, from Paul to Timothy. We'll start in, in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says to young Timothy here, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And listen to this, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth. And they will wander off into myths. As for you, young Timothy... Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of the evangelist. In other words, share your faith in Jesus with other people. Fulfill your ministry. Paul is saying, Timothy, brother, son, I want you to center your life on the word. I want you to center your life on the word. But as you do that, understand this. There are a lot of people around you who are going to sell out. The time will come when people will hear God's truth and they will not endure it. And, and church, listen, here's the frightening thing in this context. Paul isn't talking about the culture. 
Paul is not talking about the agnostic, atheistic community. He says this rejection of God's word, it will happen right in the church. It'll happen right in the church, right among God's people, in the place that you would least expect it to happen. Paul goes, look, this is what's going to happen. These people are not going to endure truth anymore. And they're going to go out and they're going to find charlatans and they're going to find spineless men and women who will tell people lies in the name of God because it's more palatable. He says they're going to they're exchange God's truth for myths because it feels better. Because it makes them more comfortable in their own darkness. And friends, may I submit to you humbly this morning that that time that Paul spoke about is now. It's now. Innumerable churches and pastors and leaders have absolutely sold out on God's truth found in his self-revelation to us in order to tickle ears. To make more money for themselves. To keep people happy in their pursuit of darkness. And Paul says to Timothy, and I think God is saying to us this morning, son, daughter of God, brother and sister, dear friend, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't sell out. Center your life on the words of God. And that is the last truth that if I could, I just want to embed deep into your heart this morning. Friend, dear brother, dear sister, center your life on God's word. I want you to listen to the words of King David in Psalm 119, maybe the most famous psalm ever written. Uh, It's a long psalm. We don't have time to read all of it uh, this morning together. would encourage you to carve out some time, maybe this afternoon or tomorrow morning, just to sit down. Read Psalm 119 in its entirety, but I have some excerpts from that psalm that I just want to share with you. They'll be on the screens behind me. But listen to the words of King David, whom God, by the way, said, this guy, King David, is a man after my own heart. Listen to his heart. David says, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments or your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all of the riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. See, David understood that he had to center his life on God's word. He learned to love it. He learned to treasure it. It became his teacher. It prepared him. It became his GPS. And church, if we are ever truly going to be able to go all in with Jesus, which is what he desires for our lives, we too must become people of the word. And here's what I'm committed to. As long as God uh, allows me to be here as your pastor, and as long as you guys are willing to keep me around, we will be a church centered on the Word. We will be a church that is centered on the Word. 
The directions that we take, the decisions that we make, how we interpret cultural issues around us will not, will never be driven by popularity, our politics, or even my own personal preference. By God's grace, we will be driven by God's word alone that he breathed into this book because he loves us. And our allegiance must always be to Jesus. Must always be to Jesus. And the way that we know Jesus' heart is through his word as his spirit leads us. Amen. So we close our time together this morning. I just want you to know, just this week, we've put a Bible reading plan on our website. And so if you go to newlifeofashville.com, if you click on resources, you'll see it there. Look, we don't ever want to ask you to do something and then not give you the tools to do it. So we're telling you, if you want to go on with Jesus, this is the first step. This is primary. You have to become a person of the word. And so there's that tool right there on our website for you. And here's my challenge to you this year. I want to challenge you. If you're not already doing this, I want you to commit right now where you are at this moment, just between you and God. Make this commitment. That this year, you're going to commit to reading the word three times a week minimum. If you're already doing it more than that, praise God. That's awesome. But if you're like me, and that's, that's just been a struggle in your life to get that discipline down and really carve out the time to spend with him and his word, I just want to encourage you to make that commitment right now, just in your heart to God. I'm going to commit to, in 2018, three times a week, I'm going to carve it out. I don't care when it is, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Just find three times during the week that you're going to get alone and spend time with God through his word, in his word. Because here's the thing, if you want to go all in in 2018, this is where it starts. You can't skip this step. It starts with spending time with God in his self-revelation to us. Let me pray for us. Father, you are so good. You are so loving and patient with us, God. Thank you for walking with us, for forgiving us giving us grace, God. Your word tells us that your mercies are new every single morning, and so we're grateful for that this morning, God. Thank you for not leaving us, abandoning us as, as orphans, and just leaving us to wander and stray and try to figure out how we should live our lives and what we should do, God. Thank you that you've actually given us your very words to teach us and to, to course correct our lives so we don't self-destruct and to, to prepare us, God to be the world changers that you've designed us, that you've called us to be. So Father, would you help us to become men and women of the word in 2018? We ask it, God, for our good, for your glory. We ask it all in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.